Good to be here with you on this Friday. A lot to get to here on the show. We'll hear from Fred Gibson, former Ware County Gator, George Bulldog. Here on the show, we'll talk some uh, some Georgia football with him. Also, Mike Griffith of Dog Nation will join us coming up here on the show. We'll talk Georgia Vanderbilt this weekend. Obviously, a bigger look ahead to Arkansas coming up uh, a week from Saturday. We'll get to our picks coming up here on the show as well. So plenty to get to as we roll on this Friday. Hit us up on Twitter, at Pigskin Radio, at Pigskin Radio. We are streaming live as well, ESPNCoastal.com, and live on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. So really, no way you can't see the show today, uh, wherever you may be. But huge games this weekend in college football, uh, certainly in the SEC, a couple of big ones. Texas A&M and Arkansas, Florida and Tennessee. Uh, kind of a renewal of that rivalry, potentially, if Tennessee can make it interesting, uh, but you start right there in the SEC, and a big one in the West, Texas A&M loses this one, fellas, and it is all of a sudden Alabama and who, exactly? I think there's a lot of pressure on, on Texas A&M entering this game, and this is a really compelling matchup. Uh, I wrote my Game of the Week preview on southernpigskin.com on this game, and I think there's NFL players all over the field. Uh, Arkansas is better than a lot of people projected back in the summer. Uh, They look really good against George Southern last week. But I think this matchup is compelling because of the reason you mentioned, Kevin. If Texas A&M were to lose this game, and Jimbo Fisher, one of the top coaches in the country, expectations at an all-time high, at least since A&M's been in the SEC, number five in the country last year, if they lose this game, you're now in the standings looking up at, at Alabama, at Arkansas, you still got Auburn, you still got Ole Miss, you still have LSU. I mean, what could a loss mean for Texas A&M in this game? And look, the atmosphere is going to be great. It's in uh, it's in uh, AT&T Stadium in Arlington. Jerry Jones, owner of the Cowboys, uh, was a co-captain on the 1964 uh, uh, Arkansas National Championship team. So, you know, he's rooting for the Razorbacks big there. But I think it's kind of a gut check game for Texas A&M. Uh, You've been talked about as a top five team, a top 10 team. You were kind of sluggish in week one against Kent State. It didn't look great against Colorado at all. And then last week, I thought you had a better performance. They shut out New Mexico. And guys, remember, New Mexico's quarterback is former Kentucky quarterback Terry Wilson. And Texas A&M was able to shut them out. So if you go off of the total points scored, I know teams like Georgia, you had you know a pick six. But if you go off the total points scored, Texas A&M has the number one scoring defense in college football. That said, they are in the 80s in rush defense. So, Ben, that's where I'm looking. I wonder, can Arkansas line up, run the football? K.J. Jefferson uh, can obviously throw it, but he can run it as well. I'm watching that matchup of the Arkansas offensive line and the Texas A&M defensive line on Saturday in Arlington. Could be a dangerous game for Texas A&M, BJ. When you look at when you look at everything uh, that they up against, I mean, Haynes King is already out. I don't know if he's out for the season, but I do know he will not be playing. You talk about an Arkansas team that already has a big win against Texas. So obviously, with them, they try, man. They, I mean, they already got the biggest brand, beat the biggest brand in the state of Texas. Now you talking about a, a Texas A&M team that Jimbo Fisher write a lot of checks in the preseason. I already talking trash. To old St. Nick, uh, you know, uh, with Alabama. But I just think for me, Traylon Burks, BJ, I mean, you talk about arguably what? The best receiver in, in the SEC. You talk about what K.J. Jefferson brings to the table. You, this Texas A&M team, they're going to be in for a lot because what they're going to against this week is balance. You got a team that can beat you through the air. You got a team that wants to be balanced running the football. And I think that we don't talk enough about what Arkansas does. We can't be – I no one expects Arkansas to beat 
you know, maybe an Alabama or maybe an Auburn. But everybody else is, is free game. Ole Miss, it could go anyway. Obviously, you got Texas A&M this weekend, but I think because you're on a neutral site, uh, and when you think about it, when you think about Sam Pittman and what he's doing, I mean, since I mean, he's what already in his, you know second year as you know second year, he's already got these guys believing in what he's doing. So I think for me, I think this is going to be a scarier game for Texas A&M because. I don't know who's Texas A&M played up to this point, but I know it was not about nobody to the caliber of Arkansas. And Arkansas already has Texas a Texas win on their resume. So, yeah, it, it could be a scary game. But anytime you got a neutral site that doesn't benefit either team, I would always sway to the underdog. And right now that is Texas – I mean, that, that is Arkansas, which could, could, could be a long day, Kevin, uh, you know, for them Texas A&M boys. Well, well I think and, the and Kev, I do want to add this real yeah. quick about Arkansas just because I think a lot of people have kind of a misnomer about Arkansas. I've read some stories this week about, oh, they're exceeding expectations and, you know, they're playing above the line and they're playing above themselves. I don't know about that. This is a very talented team. I mean, you guys have both talked about uh, Traylon Burks. He's probably a top five receiver in college football. He had 127 yards against Georgia Southern last Saturday on three catches. That's what he does. He gets it and goes. And then on defense, they not only have the leading tackler in the SEC, they have the second leading tackler in the SEC, and they have three of the top ten. So, Kevin, I think some of this talk about, oh, Arkansas is playing above themselves and they're going to come back down to reality – I think that's I think that's not giving the Razorbacks enough credit. This is a really talented team. Yeah, big test for for Arkansas and Texas A&M this weekend. Of course, you got Florida and Tennessee in the East. Do you expect BJ and Ben there to be any Alabama hangover here? I mean, and is that a real thing? Is that I, I know Ben has talked week to week, but last week you were playing the number one team in the country. This week you're playing a team that on paper is a rival, but has beaten you one time in a decade and a half. Is there an Alabama hangover for Florida this week? I don't think it's an Alabama hangover, but I but I but I will but give Tennessee this much credit. Okay, Florida understands that Georgia is their barometer because they're, they're, they're right now they're the best team in the East. For for uh, Tennessee, I mean for Tennessee, uh, I mean I'm sorry for Florida, Georgia is their barometer. I'm sorry, but you talk about a Tennessee team as you mentioned, Kevin, haven't had a lot of uh, a lot of success as of late against the Gators. If you're a Tennessee, this is this is the game you circle on the calendar when you're saying, look. We're going to see what we are as a program. Rather, we, I don't care if we got a new head coach. I don't care if we got you know, our new players. I don't care if we lost a bunch of guys to the transfer portal. We measure our team on the best team in our conference. What is the best team in your conference is Georgia. But the best team that, the best team that you've had a problem with dealing with, that's had them, I think, I think Florida, Florida over Tennessee is the longest streak right now in college football for one team over another. It used to be Florida and Kentucky. Well, Kentucky got rid of that, obviously, when they won uh, a couple of years ago. So, for me, I don't think it's going to be an Alabama hangover. I think that Florida understands that, look, utilize that crowd, utilize the fact that uh, Anthony Richardson is going to be playing this week. But can Emory Jones take the next step? Because each week it's about him. The defense, you already know what to expect from them. Florida has, what, the second-best running attack in the country right now. I think if you're a Tennessee, you know what you have to do, but – I know it's crazy. You take on the traditions, the good or bad of the team you play for, but you can start setting new traditions because I go back to when Kentucky beat Florida and, uh, jo- and Josh Allen and those guys, B.J. Snell Jr., every time they talk about Florida, they say, we beat them. It doesn't matter how many times they beat us. We the team that stopped the streak. So I do think Tennessee is a dangerous team because nobody expects them to do much. But, you know, Coach Hybel, he coming in saying, look, I understand that I'm new to this rivalry. I understand what's going on with Florida, Tennessee. But my legacy starts on Saturday. I have nothing to do with what happened before I got here. 
Yeah, a couple of thoughts here. I might disagree with you a little bit, Ben. I think there might be just a, just a little bit of a – I don't know if letdown is the right word, but just kind of a recovery from the Alabama game where, to Kevin's point, so much buildup, so much hype, such such incredible effort. I think Philip Fulmer called it courageous when he was talking about Florida coming back. Uh, that you know that takes a little bit out of you when you come back from a from a significant deficit against a team like Alabama, and then it's kind of take a deep breath. Or, all right, get focused on the rest of the season. And obviously, the focus is going to be there. This is a very well coached team. This is a talented team. But I think it's only natural. And I think Tennessee does present a little bit of a little bit of a matchup difference in that they're going to try to run what Kevin 90 95 plays on you and I think Hendon Hooker's giving that offense a little bit more stability and consistency so I expect this to be close but I also want to say this and it's a carryover and a parallel from Florida Alabama where for a lot of people the reaction to that game was my gosh Alabama only beat Florida by two we've got to stop doing that and what I think we're going to see this weekend I may be wrong Florida may win this by four touchdowns but I think you're going to see Florida win a close game, maybe, you know, by two scores at the end. And then you're going to have people say, see, Florida only beat. And that is so wrong. Ben, you've taught me that football is a week-to-week. Every every week is a new chapter in a book. So what happened the week before, you move on. And if you win, you win. And if you lose, you lose. So I don't want people to be critical of Florida, who has earned the right to be called one of the best teams in the country, if they, quote, only win this game by 10 or 14 points. But I do think, Kevin, it's going to be a little closer because of kind of the you know the challenges that Tennessee might present. Yeah, again, a, a great – I think one that uh, you always look forward to in the SEC, even though, as you said, it has been uh, one-sided uh, here for basically the last decade and really the last 20 years or so. I think Tennessee's only won five of 22 uh, in this series. So uh, that is – very one-sided at the end of the day, but a big, a hey, what a big signature win that would be in year number one if Josh Heupel is able to go there and, and do that in the swamp as well. A couple of the big games quickly. Uh, Clemson has not looked good uh, offensively. Defensively looked very good. Offensively not looked good. They're on the road at NC State. BJ, this seems like one, uh, again, where if Clemson is not careful, they can get got by the Wolfpack. This is a tough game to figure out because if you go back to the summer, and, and I don't want to you know, already start changing my opinions a couple of weeks into the season, but I think I said you know, a couple of times, keep an eye on this game, you know, NC State with Devin Leary and, 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 and Bam Knight and uh, you know, Jakeen Harris having a, having a great season, you know, Isaiah Moore, Peyton Wilson defensively, and you're talking about playing in Raleigh, one of the tougher places to play in the ACC. I thought this was going to be close, but the fact that Clemson has looked so – out of out of sync the first couple of weeks makes me wonder if they're going to have that breakout game now that there's a little bit of pressure but the opponent isn't quite up to Georgia's level right where you got humbled a little bit by Georgia uh, you know you beat South Carolina State handily and then against Georgia Tech that was I mean people that was almost an upset that was right there and now you're playing a game where there is that pressure there is that kind of national spotlight but you're not running into a Georgia. I think NC State's a good team, but probably not a great team. A part of me thinks Clemson gets right this weekend. And I don't know that that's as much me not crediting NC State as it is, surely Clemson's got to be better than this. I mean, the correction has to be coming. Guys, we talked about this. Clemson is last in the ACC in offense by a wide margin. Like, not Florida State, not Georgia Tech, you know, not Virginia, not Duke, not Boston Clemson is last by a wide margin. So, Ben, I don't have a great feel for this, but a part of me kind of thinks Clemson is going to get right. 
BJ, that might that might be the fact that we've we've got we've got uh, that that recency bias when it comes to Clemson because we think that no matter who's on the center, no matter who they replace, they're gonna be fine. Well, maybe that's not the case this year because you know what's happening when we talk about the gap, right? We always talk about the gap in the ACC. You know what other teams are doing while Clemson is still good? They're getting better. Now they're not on Clemson level, so we thought we thought that Georgia defense exposed something. No, guess who else exposed Clemson? Georgia Tech, because while while Clemson is supposed to be, you know, they're, they're the gold standard in the ACC. Other teams, you know, once again, they play football in NC State too. They play football in Atlanta too. So, BJ, you looking for a get right game? Is DJ you gonna just turn into somebody different? Is this offense gonna just? I mean, they got guys that were starters transferring to schools. They got guys that were starters that's getting hurt. Maybe NC State. Maybe this is a get right game for NC State to be like, look, we understand that Clemson is the gold standard, but Clemson can be beat. But they just haven't been beat in the ACC as of late. Maybe, maybe this is a closer game than we think because this is a fourth quarter game. I, I would, I would, I would, uh, I would go with NC State if they keep it in, if they stay in this thing for four quarters. Because if you're looking at Clemson offense right now, they don't scare anybody, even if DJU is the future. And we'll get to our picks coming up uh, later in the show. When we come back, we will talk Georgia. Georgia's got Vanderbilt coming up this weekend. I don't think anybody's expecting that to be a close, hard-fought contest. But there are some interesting things to watch for. This ball game with Georgia with Arkansas sitting out there on the horizon. We'll hear from Mike Griffith, Dog Nation, when we with the Pigskin Radio Network, Georgia and Vanderbilt in Nashville this week. And uh, joining us here from Dog Nation, Mike Griffith steps in here on 3 and Out. Mike, welcome to the show. How are you? Doing great, guys. Thank you. Appreciate you coming on. And, again, I know most people aren't expecting Vanderbilt to be much of a, a challenge here, but it looks like Georgia potentially hopeful some guys that haven't played football much at all here in 2021 uh, might get a chance to do so here on Saturday. What's the latest you can tell us about some guys like Darnell Washington and others? Yeah, you know, Kirby said he didn't rule them out. This was their original target date for return. You talk about Darnell Washington and Tyke Smith, the, the defensive back. Uh, you know, it'd be nice to see those guys get a couple snaps, get warmed up. You know, you'd hate for their first action to be in a game like Arkansas. I anticipate it'll be a closer game in Sanford Stadium. Uh, but we don't know for sure if they're going to go. I, I mean, obviously, Georgia's fine whether they go or not. I think we want to see more from Kamari Lasseter, cornerback. And we talk about Georgia really needing to kind of address some needs and tighten some things up before we start to get into the meat of the schedule. That cornerback position opposite of Darian Kendrick, we have to wonder. Amir Speed and Keely Ringo have had some moments this season when they really haven't looked up to par in terms of championship standards. And not to say that they can and won't improve, Lasseter is another player, an incoming freshman, with a lot of talent that Kirby's been high on. I wonder how much of him might we see this week. Mike, beyond just uh, winning the game, obviously, what, what specific things do you think Kirby Smart and his staff are looking for against Vanderbilt? Well, I think, you know, Kirby and Georgia really want to get comfortable running the ball. You know, there's been some, there's been some um, inconsistency there, hot and cold, as Kirby likes to say. And that's an area that really needs to be shored up. You know, for Georgia to be at their best, uh, they've got to be able to run the ball effectively. And, you know, it's what sets up play action. Uh, it's what keeps you, you know, comfortable and, and down in distance in short yardage situations. So to me, that's an area that I think they really need to focus on, uh, really establishing that ground game so that they can open up to play action. 
I mean, Mike, do you? But I mean, obviously, it's working right now. But do they do they want to be more like let the run open up for the pass? I know that JT Daniels got the big time arm, and I think the way he's spreading the football around kind of makes that offense more dangerous because you don't have one guy to key on. But as as you know, obviously, it goes from a, you know hotter to colder, and you want to be able to get those backs more. Do they kind of want to go more run heavy? They kind of even open up more for the uh, for the passing game. Well, they want to be able to do both, right? The defense will dictate what you do by how many men they have in the box. And when a defense is dropping eight, you want to be able to put the throttle down and hammer them on the ground. And when they're loading the box, you want to be able to throw it deep. And, you know, you want to be able to run effectively enough on first down that the offense, the defense doesn't really know what to expect from the offense. So you stay out of the change. It's second and five now. It's third and two or third and three. And, and that's the play caller's delight. When you're able to keep the defense guessing and on their heels, and you stay ahead of the chains where you can run or pass effectively, it makes it that much harder for them to devise a scheme to stop you. Mike Griffith joining us here on 3 and Out. And, uh, Mike, you look at this Georgia defense has gotten a lot of uh, notoriety for what they've done here early in the season, rightfully so. What kind of offenses have they faced yet uh, to kind of show where they're at? Clemson, as you saw what they did against Georgia Tech uh, last week offensively, do you feel like Clemson was that dynamic offense uh, that maybe we thought they were going to be. And, and where do you think this Georgia defense is, uh, again, three games in? Have they seen a team that is really competent offensively at this point? Yeah, that's a fair question. I don't think we can say, you know, I think maybe some teams are competent, but I don't know that they've faced anybody dynamic enough that, that I would want to judge them at this stage. Uh, you know, outside the front seven. I, the front seven's legit. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Uh, that's just a fantastic uh, – group of guys there that are lining up on defense there in that front seven. But secondary is where they have been susceptible. We pointed out that South Carolina was able to strike deep with the four passes of 35 yards or longer. And you wonder now, you know, if that's going to be the recipe is, hey, you know, you've got to set George up and kind of take your shots where you can. And I think that's what Vanderbilt's planning to do this week. And then they'll face an Arkansas team. And it'll be very interesting to see how Arkansas fares uh, against Texas A&M on Saturday in Arlington, Texas. Assuming this game goes as we expect and Georgia has a multi-score lead very early, uh, do you think later in this game we'll see Stetson Bennett and and Carson Beck potentially? Well, you know, Kirby says it has to do with how these teams practice. So, you know, I'll take him at his word. And, you know, I'm, I'm not inside of those practices, but I would imagine that, you know, there may be an opportunity to put some backups in, you know, depending on the score and, and if Kirby's seen what he wants to see out of the starting offense. But, um, you know, I don't think that the backup quarterback is a big concern for Georgia uh, so much as the run game and, and getting that offensive line settled and maybe seeing some of those younger offensive linemen in there. I know that's not as sexy or as obvious as seeing the backup quarterback trot in, but, you know, when those big uglies come in, you know, pay attention because Georgia really still searching for the right combination up front. I mean, even uh, even uh, speaking of that offensive line, what what is Georgia's best uh, starting five? As you mentioned, a lot of young guys, a lot of guys trying to kind of play out of position. But who is their best starting five in your you know in your uh, in your estimation? Yeah, it's kind of a trick question. You know, with JT under center, I think he helps Cedric Van in quite a bit, and, and I think that makes Van Pran the best center. Now, I, I don't know what to say about Warren Erickson at right guard. Uh, you know, Warren is a guy that can play uh, multiple positions on the offensive line. He started out as the starting center before he broke his hands, you'll remember. But, you know, from everything Kirby's saying, uh, Jamari Salyer's having a great year at left tackle. And, you know, we all thought Broderick Jones, the five-star, would edge his way in there, but it hasn't happened yet, uh, at least not as a starter. You know, that's kind of something to keep your eyes peeled for. When does Broderick Jones 
hit that point, you know, where he's assignment sound and you feel like you can trust him at left tackle enough to move Jamari inside to guard. And, and then who goes out? Is it Erickson uh, or is it Schaefer? You know, Schaefer is a senior, hasn't exactly had the best years. Some, some motion penalties, a holding penalty. Uh, it's been a disappointing year for Justin Schaefer, the senior left guard. Mike Griffith, Dog Nation, now joining us here on 3 and Out. And obviously, it works this week against, uh, against Vanderbilt. Uh, Kirby Smart saying, look, we don't get, measure ourselves against the opponents. We measure ourselves against ourselves. I mean, what if you dive into that, what do you think is uh, his meaning behind that, uh, especially, obviously, when you're playing a team like Vanderbilt, but as an overall philosophy? Well, you got to play up to a certain standard. You know, Nick Saban talked about it. You know, Alabama had more than half their offense in the first quarter. and you know, didn't play up to their standard the rest of the game. And, you know, you got to have that mentality that regardless of who you play, uh, you know, they're going to get your best. You know, you, you don't let down just because the other opponent uh, may be not as talented or doesn't push you as much physically. You know, you have to play up to a championship standard every time you take the field. Uh, that's your responsibility, not just to, to the team. It's your responsibility to yourself. Yeah, every day you guys sit behind the mic. You guys got to bring it right. You, you don't say to yourself, well, you know, it's a little rainy outside. Uh, you know, we, we all have that responsibility, as Nick Saban says, that self-standard of excellence. And different people set the bar in different places. Uh, I can assure you Georgia football is setting that bar very high. Mike, what can you tell us about Jalen Kimber and his knee injury? Yeah, Jalen is uh, unfortunately out for the year, season-ending knee surgery this morning. Uh, or excuse me, season-ending shoulder surgery this morning. Uh, a guy that was projected to start on the corner. Um, you know, a guy that I, I think is uh, going to be missed, you know, and he didn't really get a lot of run yet this year. Uh, it's a position that George is already lacking bodies. Uh, you know, Eric Stokes and Tyson Campbell, uh, you know, first and second round draft picks. Uh, DJ Daniel, very unfortunate. DJ didn't stick around for another year. That was a guy that started the corner in 2019. And, uh, you know, I think he'd be starting right now if he was still a Georgia Bulldog. But, you know, something happened where, you know, he, he didn't want to come back for another year and Tried his hand at free agency with the Jaguars, got cut. You know, just a talented player that you you hope resurfaces somewhere. But you know, back to the Georgia side. You know, so you got that NFL attrition, Mark Webb and Richard McCown. Also, there's five DBs right there, and then you had two other guys transfer. Major Burns is starting at LSU, and Tyreek Stevenson starting in Miami. So, you know, you lose seven guys. You lose seven guys, seven SEC starters out of your back your defensive backfield, and here's what you got left. And because of the depth of the front seven, even those guys that come in, uh, you know, backing up those guys, because they're so good, both first team, second team, maybe even third team, how much, how much, uh, how much less pressure do they put on those guys on the back end? Because you got to deal with those guys up front. Yeah, they do. They put a you know, they put the pressure up there. But you know, still, South Carolina found a way to complete four, four passes over thirty-five yards. I mean, that's those are game-changing plays that get you beat against a better opponent. And, uh, you know, South Carolina, and, and listen, I thought Luke Doty played really well. I, th- I think a lot of Luke Doty, uh, I don't know why I've got this, you know, and maybe it's a sucker bet, but I, for whatever reason, I think Gamecocks are going to beat Kentucky at home uh, under the lights in Columbia. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Kentucky goes in there and beats them like a drum like they did last year. But I really liked what I saw from Luke Doty. But those Gamecocks brought a lot of fight uh, for all four quarters. But still, you know, that that's not a team that you expect to be exploiting your secondary. And, you know, you you hit those big passes. Uh, you know that's tough, and and so I do think that there is a margin for error because of that front four. Uh, but when we're talking about trying to win a national championship, you, know, you better bring your A game. And and we've seen it with Georgia before. They've been oh so close, so close to getting by Alabama. 
uh, and, and weren't able to do it. And, and even Florida. Hey, Florida outplayed Alabama, but you know what? Alabama didn't turn the ball over. And Alabama's coach had them prepared. They took a 21-3 to lead coming out of the tunnel in the first quarter because Dan Mullen didn't have the Gators prepared. Okay? The Gators were the better team. You can look at the numbers. You can look at the last three quarters. But it was Alabama that came and dialed in. It was Alabama that didn't have any turnovers and didn't beat themselves. And so if you're Georgia, you've got to know that that's the team you're going to face, a team that's not going to beat themselves, a team that's going to be dialed in, and a team that's going to find a way to exploit your weakness. So you better hope those corners get dialed in. I don't care how good your front seven is. Bryce Young is a guy that can buy time, and Bama's got some receivers that can exploit you. So it's up to Georgia to get themselves championship ready on the back end. Mike Griffith, Dog Nation, our guest here on 3 and Out. Mike, always a pleasure. Thanks so much. All right, guys. Thank you. Appreciate it. Mike Griffith joining us here on 3 and Out. is Georgia and Vanderbilt uh, this Saturday in Nashville, and then Arkansas rolls in. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, glad you're with us. We'll look at the SEC games coming up in just a little bit, but the ACC weekend here, BJ and Ben. Obviously, you have uh, Clemson and NC State. We talked about that a little bit in the open. You have Georgia Tech hosting North Carolina, sort of. They're at uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium. They're the home team. So you get North Carolina uh, coming into town, number 21 ranked. Uh, Tar Heels, Georgia Tech coming off a near get of uh, Clemson last week. And again, do you have positive momentum for Georgia Tech or do you have it uh, in the other direction? We're talking talking about Florida. Is there an Alabama hangover? Is there a Clemson hangover for Georgia Tech where it's like, hey, you put forth a lot of effort to try to win that game, and now a dynamic offense comes in that's really going to push you uh, the full length sideways and uh, up and down north and south on the football field. Tell me if you guys think this is fair or if this is, if this is wrong. I'm kind of talking it out. But when you compare Georgia Tech's near upset of Clemson and Florida's near upset of Alabama, I think you know a couple of factors. Obviously, Florida was, what, number 11 in, in the country entering that game. The game was, was in the swamp. Uh, I think Florida can – absolutely take some positives away from that game. But I think at the end of the day, they feel like they had a chance and they lost. I think for Georgia Tech playing at Clemson, and I'm talking about, you know, the totality of kind of what people expected, not inside that locker room. But for Georgia Tech, I don't know that there was much talk around the country, even of the Yellow Jackets playing Clemson close in Death Valley. So even though there are no moral victories, I think Georgia Tech can take a lot of positive momentum away from that. I mean, you went up against the other modern-day dynasty as an unranked team and a team that a lot of people kind of turned the page on after you lost to Northern Illinois, and you had Clemson quite literally on the ropes, like like right there at the one-yard line uh, offensively and defensively. So I think Georgia Tech enters this game with North Carolina with momentum, with, with positive momentum. And I think this is fascinating because – Kevin, you mentioned the offense. Yeah, they're going to Josh Downs and Ty Chandler, obviously Sam Howell, but they didn't look good against Virginia Tech. Uh, in their in, in in their conference game, you know, against uh, Virginia Tech, their opener, they didn't look good. Then against Virginia, they scored 50-plus points, but offensively they were great. Defensively they were not. So I kind of don't know what to expect from North Carolina, and I think Georgia Tech should enter this game with more confidence. Yeah, why don't I mean I don't I don't what what I don't understand is I mean uh, BJ is the fact that we need to let go of preseason hype. We need to let go of what we thought was going to happen. Virginia Tech showed us week one of the season. Maybe this isn't. I mean, if we're talking about replacing things out, outside of what LSU had to replace in twenty twenty, is anybody replacing? And, and obviously, what Alabama's replacing with 
you know, Najee Harris and Devonta Smith, you know what I'm saying, Jalen Waddle. Nobody's replaced them more than North Carolina. You replace the 2,000-yard backs and 2,000-yard receivers. Now, Sam Howell is a good player. He's, he, has a, he has a so-so offensive line. Georgia Tech didn't lose to Clemson because Clemson was a better, better team that day. Georgia Tech lost to Clemson because they didn't thought they would be in the game at that point in the game. Because I'm telling you, going into the game with a belief system that, look, we're just as good as them. It can't just be a talking point. It can't just be something where we feel as though we can play with, with anybody in the country. Georgia Tech almost beat Clemson. And the reason why they didn't beat Clemson is because they tried to beat them with a shovel pass. You're not going to beat Clemson with a shovel pass because give Renables a lot of credit. But you talk about this Georgia Tech team now. We're talking about hangovers. Can I take the momentum from last week and bring it into this week? I mean, yes, you know, Georgia Tech is playing, you know, Mercedes-Benz. I mean, you know, to kind of taking away a home game. But if you're North Carolina, you, you should be nervous. If any, two things Georgia Tech has. They have a solid running game when they, when they feature it. And they got, D, they got DBs that can match up with anybody. So I do think Georgia Tech is going to give uh, UNC some problems because people think that because Sam Howell is going to be a potential top 10, top 5 pick, that thinks they, they, go, they, can, they can just march out there and beat anybody. If Georgia Tech stays the course, they come in here with a similar game plan. Keep pressure on UNC. Mr. Sam Howell, not Mr. Sam Howell will throw the ball to the other team. So, BJ, I just think it's momentum. I think it's confidence. And I think it's buying in. And unfortunately, this isn't the same Clemson that we've grown to know and love. We need to get maybe Clemson isn't as good. And maybe Georgia Tech is a team who understands that while they might have one of the hardest schedules in the country, they can go ahead and put one in the L column if they can keep pressure on them Tar Heels this weekend. Yeah, that's going to be uh, certainly one to watch on Saturday night. A couple more interesting ones that I think for just various reasons will, will not get talked about uh, a lot, but an interesting matchup, ACC v. SEC, Missouri and Boston College. Kind of one you don't – I mean, you just don't see that uh, scheduled a whole lot. But uh, two teams that are looking to kind of establish themselves in the middle of the conferences uh, that they're in. Boston College off to a 3-0 and start. Mizzou at 2-1. and one. This will be a big non-conference win for both of these teams if they can get it. Fascinating game. I agree with you. And I think if Boston College had Phil Dracovic uh, completely healthy, this would probably be an even more interesting game. That's their starting quarterback. But, yeah, Boston College is still a talented team, and they get overlooked sometimes in the ACC. You know, they're way up there and, you know, don't have kind of the, you know, the name brand that some of the other teams have. But quietly, they're a very consistent program. Jeff Halfley last year came in uh, after being the defensive coordinator at Ohio State, did a really nice job. And even without Jerkovic, you're talking about Zay Flowers as an All-American candidate, a wide receiver, uh, Zion Johnson, Alec Lindstrom, Chris Lindstrom's brother along the offensive line. Uh, this is a good team, a balanced team. And their backup quarterback, Dennis Grossell, has played. So he's been a starter. This is a big test for Missouri. And, Kevin, going back to kind of the SEC-ACC thing, I mean, man, could the ACC use a win like this. I mean, given what you've seen with Florida State being terrible, you know, with uh, Georgia Tech's loss to Northern Illinois, with, you know, Clemson not looking great, getting shut out by Georgia, Miami getting blown out, obviously, by Alabama and Michigan State, uh, NC State not even close against Mississippi State. I think you could really use an SEC win here. And Boston College just may be the team to give it to you. They're a good team. Yeah, and, and I mean, the thing is, I mean, when you talk about two teams that are very, very similar as far as, like, what they're always fighting for in their respective conferences, it's always fighting for respectability. 
And I'll get into that, get into that cover to six wins and how many games past six can they get to? Missouri is a very, very fascinating team because obviously because of where they geographically located, you never, you never, you're not gonna get the same fanfare. And they're good Missouri outside of certain teams they play is good enough to beat anybody. But so is Boston College. So this is gonna come down to a battle of wills. This is gonna come down to who can go out there and beat themselves. I mean, BJ, something I told you all about too, outside of being a different week. This comes down, who can look more like themselves? And who is good at improvising? If they take away what we naturally do, are we good at improvising? But these type of games end up being more intriguing than we give it credit for. It's not, not the sexy game. It ain't Georgia Tech, North Carolina. I get it. It ain't Tennessee, Florida. I get it. But we look, the next thing you know, we like, hey, man, you might, you might want to turn over to Boston College and Mizzou. These boys over there getting it in. But I do think Boston College needs this more than Mizzou because I think right now with Clemson not kind of being the ACC, you know, front run that we've grown, in the, who's going to be that next team? And I think Boston College got good a chance as any. We'll see come this weekend. Should be a good test on both sides. Yeah, there's a lot of people that think maybe Boston College right now might be that team in the Atlantic to be a solid number two, given the way things are going. And to that end, BJ, we got a couple minutes here. Uh, one, trying to avoid, I guess, more history and not in the good way, and that's Florida State and Louisville. And Louisville off to a 2-1 start, but Florida State, uh, they haven't gone 0-3 since the 70s. I don't even want to know how far you got to go back to see when they went 0-4 last and they are trying, hoping, praying that they don't go 0-4 this week at home against Louisville. Yeah, 0-4 would be pre-Bobby Bowden. So you're talking about before Bobby Bowden at Florida State. Uh, man, it's a hard team to kind of get a feel for. Uh, the Notre Dame game was fun. Everybody was optimistic, even in a losing effort. And then the Jacksonville State game was just just stunning. Not Not necessarily only that you lost, but how you lost. And then, you know, a lot of people said, okay, surely they'll bounce back against Wake Forest. And they were blown out. I mean, Florida State was blown out by Wake Forest. It might have only been 35-14, to 14, which is still a 21-point victory. But Wake Forest kind of put it on cruise control and said, hey, we're going to keep it where it is in the fourth quarter. They could have scored two more touchdowns, it seemed like, watching it. And, Ben, I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, we know Mackenzie Milton has been one of the best quarterbacks in the country. He's had a really hard time getting the ball downfield. He had four turnovers in Winston-Salem. Um, Florida State actually has the nation's sack leader in Jermaine Johnson, the, the, the Georgia transfer, but that hadn't been quite enough defensively. They've been able to run the football a little bit with Jay Sean Corbin, uh, the Texas A&M transfer, but the passing game just has not been there. Turnovers, mistakes, penalties – uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I do know this. Florida State better find a way to have some big plays because Malik Cunningham's going to have big plays. I mean, Louisville's got some momentum after beating Central Florida. I think Scott Satterfield has turned things around there a little bit. I love Cunningham. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the country. But, Ben, man, I, when I watch Florida State, I don't know. I just don't know. I just think at the end of the day, Florida State going to have to take a hard look in the mirror and they're going to have to be able to uh, really, really like like what's looking back at them because identity crisis happens sometimes in football and sometimes, BJ, you might be a lot of things, but you are definitely what your records say you are and you they're going to have to get back to their winning ways sooner rather than later because Mr. Norvell, mm, that seat ain't even hot no more. I don't even think you have a seat to sit on at this point. I think if he loses to Louisville, you might go just get a can of gasoline and dump it on that seat. I mean, it, it could be uh, crazy. And, and, again, we've already seen the calls. Go get Dion. Go get Dion uh, there from uh, from folks in uh, in Florida State, and I'm sure those will only get louder uh, if Mike Norvell loses a game like this on Saturday afternoon. We got more to come here on Three and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network.
Good to have you here on this Friday. Kevin, BJ, and Ben. College football coming up tomorrow. Some great high school football games out there this evening, including one we'll have coming up here in just a little bit. Uh, Benedictine and Ware County, two great quarterbacks. If you haven't uh, made your plans to, uh, to check that out, do it. Or listen to uh, to us on ESPN Radio, uh, Savannah, and 1400 FM 104.3, ESPNCoastal.com. We'll also have it on the uh, the video side of things as well at ESPNCoastal.com. Uh, and you'll see two of the state's best quarterbacks, B.J. and Ben, Holden Gurner at B.C., and Thomas Castellanos uh, at Ware County, and two guys that do it differently. Holden Gurner, big arm, able to push the ball downfield, committed to Auburn. Thomas Castellanos, uh, one of the best a dual threat quarterbacks you're going to find committed to Central Florida should be an unbelievable matchup of quarterbacks tonight. Really excited. I think it's one of the best games you're going to see all season long in the state of Georgia and two powers, as you said, two quarterbacks that are not only great high school football players, but big time recruits as well. And, you know, really proud of uh, the, you know, the work that, that, that you and Christian and uh, PJ do with our high school football, our high school sports coverage, and to have the mega cast tonight with you Christian and PJ, you got it on the radio. You got it digitally. You can watch it. I mean, this is, I mean, this is big time. I'm really excited and going to check out both broadcasts. And I think, I mean, Kevin, Ben, when you have quarterbacks like this, is the expectation kind of a more high scoring, big play type game? Or could this be one of those games where the defense is, you know, sometimes when you hype up an offensive game, it's the defenses that show up. What are you expecting tonight? Ooh, I mean, I, I Chris was just showing me some highlights of the young man from Ware County. Let me tell you something. Look, I know that Benedict can play good football, but if you had a chance to see what didn't didn't UCF play Auburn in the Peach Bowl? Didn't they play him in the Peach Bowl? Well, BJ, you might want to go back to that game. And I know UCF won. I'm not saying Ware County gonna be gonna come out the winner today, but if you play if you play defense for Benedictine, boy, you better drink your Gatorade. Cause that young man at Ware County, that young man is trouble. But I, when you when you talk about when you, when you talk about why you love high school football, you got two guys that's already committed to their respective schools, and I think the kid at Ware County, he's going to UCF not because he's not good, good enough to go to bigger schools. He's not the biggest kid you ever seen. I think like five ten, five eleven, but it should be fireworks. So that's what you want, though. The, the goal is always the same in any style of football. Whoever has a better quarterback got a better chance, of, better chance of winning. But whoever has the better dual threat in high school. That gives you an even higher chance of winning. So I think it should be a good one. I know that, uh, you know, Kevin and Chris are going to be on the call. I know it's going to be a lot of fireworks coming tonight. Yeah, looking forward to it. And, again, I, I think you're talking about just playmakers everywhere with Justin Thomas, Zaquan Bryan there at Benedictine, able to get outside, make some things happen from, from Gurner at quarterback. And then, as you said, uh, Thomas Castellanos, uh, we've been watching him almost as long as uh, we have uh, Gurner there at BC. I mean, he's a young man, and last year they both – uh, kind of went crazy uh, in that football game, and I think now they're both seniors. Man, I, I don't as as we said, BJ. I don't know if you'll find a better quarterback matchup than what you have tonight with those two guys, and and, and doing it in different ways uh, than what you've got tonight there at Memorial Stadium. And these games are special, you know. These matchups are special. These moments are special. So really excited about tonight. And yes. Not only, you know, do you have all the high school football fans in the area paying attention, all the, you know, folks who follow recruiting, you know, they want to see what Gariner does. They want to say, uh, you know, see the big throws. I know Kevin, he had a couple of, uh, last couple of weeks, has had some really nice throws, I believe, to Justin Thomas, uh, some touchdown throws, and then Castellanos can do it a couple of different ways. So uh, from a recruiting standpoint, storylines, from state championship contenders with both teams, their storylines. So this is about as good as it gets. Really looking forward to uh, what you and Christian and PJ have to offer later this evening. 
And again, beautiful football weather tonight as well. I mean, I think it's supposed to be down in like the mid to lower 70s for most of the game. I mean, this is finally football weather uh, here along the coast. So it's going to be a lot of fun. You know, big men don't like to sweat uh, up there uh, in, the, in the press box, Ben. So uh, it should be a good one tonight. We'll have coverage starting at 7 p.m. Hope to have you tuning in uh, for that one there from Memorial Stadium, B.C. and Ware County. Much more to come here in hour number two. We'll take three when we turn. We'll look at the weekend slate of SEC games as well. Here it's three and out. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio, at Pigskin Radio. Welcome back. Hour two here, three and out. All across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, we'll get to the SEC uh, look ahead to this weekend. Some big games in league and certainly a setup for next weekend, potentially, depending on how some of these games play themselves out. So we'll get to that coming up in just a little bit. But first, let's take three here on three and out. Oh, I'm waiting. Uh, Cam's telling me to wait so we can get the take three music. I'm sorry, Cam. I did not uh, get your signal there from the side. I will continue to stall as best I can. Are we, are we ready to go? Let's take, let's take three here on three and out. Here we go. All right, take one, fellas. What is the most historic football stadium in America? A lot of iconic ones out there. What do you consider the Palace? Yeah, Kevin. Thinking about this, you know, after 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 you and I had a discussion, I think I think it is probably the Rose Bowl for me. And I know there are some professional football stadiums. To me. College football stadiums kind of lean a little bit more in favor of the tradition and, and history aspect. And I know the Rose Bowl not only has been home to UCLA and countless massive college football games, national championships, but also Super Bowls as well. So, you know, I think, and concerts and, you know, all kinds. So I think the Rose Bowl is probably one that stands out to me. And in, and in college football, you know, even, even going back to when you had the national championship game and the Rose Bowl was a separate game. It and, and and when that occurs now, it seems like there's still a special appeal and intrigue and sort of just reverence around the Rose Bowl and around the history and around, you know, everything that has happened in that stadium, in that venue. So for me I'm gonna go with the Rose Bowl. Wow, I mean, you think about, uh, you know, historic stadiums or the greatest stadiums. I mean, only two really, really, really jump out. I mean, that's Lambeau Field and Soldier Field. I mean, Lambeau Field, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure if you go back to the old black and white films, you're talking about all oh, those first, you know, Super Bowl ones, twos, and threes is going to be somewhere in Lambeau. And I think, I think that if I'm not mistaken, BJ, I know, I know you're going to fact check me. I think that Soldier Field is the oldest of all the fields, if, I, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. So, Number one, Lambeau because of the, you know because of the prestige, and I just think Soldier Field, man. Soldier Field is the is the equivalent to you know Madison Square Garden in the NBA. You go out there and do it on Soldier Field, man. Things just matter more. So give me Lambeau, you know one A, and give me a uh, Soldier Field one B. Yeah, I, it's Lambeau Field to be the uh, just iconic uh, football stadium in the National Football League. Rose Bowl would be right there, uh, certainly number two. So many great uh, football games been held there. Uh, as well. Moving along, take two point. Christian was on a mission today to uh, every once in a while he just gets a bug uh, up his backside. He's like, look, I'm, I'm on a mission to tear. He is, he hates turf. And after seeing Christian McCaffrey and J.C. Horn go down with non-contact injuries last night, he wants to know, should NFL teams be allowed to use turf and not just have the natural grass? NFLPA saying 69% more likely you get a foot or ankle injury on turf compared to just regular grass. 
Yeah, my first thought when we were discussing this was maybe the the teams in the north, you know, when you talk about snow and you talk about ice and all that, uh, you know, during the winter, you know, this is what they have to do. But, but Kevin, you were giving me some information. Ben, you're talking about Soldier Field. Soldier Field, which is, is very cold and very frigid, has grass, and it has, I believe, since the late 1980s. So for a generation now, it has had grass. And I believe, Ben, you were telling me you've played on multiple fields in cold weather that have had grass. So maybe you have to get a different type of grass. I know they do something unique out in Arizona, but I think this is, I mean, I, I, I mean, I think Christian's spot on, especially when you look at the NFL PA uh, data, which, which, which he sent me, when you, when you see that there's a 60% increase in injuries uh, and there are ways to have grass pretty much anywhere with some of the different types of grasses and, you know, storage and things that you can do restarting. I mean, it seems pretty obvious. And then you were telling me overwhelmingly players want to play on grass because I guess the turf kind of clings to you, right? You get stuck in it, I guess, or there are more uh, ligament or, or injuries or twists. So if this is something that you don't have to do because of the weather, and this is something that the NFLPA has data and various organizations have data that show that knee injuries, certain injuries are more likely. And this is something that the players very much want. I mean, I, yeah, I think, I think, I think it makes sense. Absolutely. <sighs> should it be allowed to? Yes. But should they do it? No. Because the whole thing is, now, 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 take, take the premise for a second. Okay. So you got all this money for a new stadium and I get it. It's all about the fan experience. It's all about, you know, all the amenities. It's all about everything you could put in one stadium. I would think that the number one priority would be the turf, where the, where the, where the, where the, where the players play. You should make sure that what is going to give us the best opportunity to make sure these players walk on the field, I mean, I mean, walk off the field the same way we walk on. I, I played on turf. Now, you go back to those St. Louis car, I mean, those St. Louis uh, Rams teams, you know, with Kurt Warner and, and you know, and Torrey Holt and Isaac Roof and Marshall Falk, the greatest show on turf. You are moving at a different pace, but football is played on grass. It is played on grass. And you would think that a 69%, almost 70% increase in injuries on turf compared to uh, to grass will make the NFL think more about it. But this is what I said, and I'm, uh, you know, uh, before the show, I'm going to say it now. It has to be a player of significance, a.k.a. a face of the league, to get them to, to think about it. If it was Patrick Mahomes, if it was Russell Wilson, if it was Aaron Rodgers, if it was Tom Brady, they would take more. They would take a bigger look at it. But as long as these stars, who everybody are paying to see, are, are you know are not uh, injured, they don't mind it. Because when Tom Brady got uh was out for the whole season because he had a torn ACL, can't hit a quarterback low. When Peyton Manning was out because of nerve damage in his neck, can't hit a quarterback high. Two of the quote faces of the NFL. Well, one of them still won the face of the NFL. But I I've never liked her. I mean, football is played on grass. Period. And I I just think that. The fact that guys are having non-contact injuries is showing you that I have a surface that is not built or essential for my for my ligaments. It's not built for it. It doesn't move. Grass moves. Grass moves with you know with your foot. It'll move. It'll, it'll give. If there's nothing but a hard surface painted green, that's not gonna give. And you know what else? You know what else that is? That's lazy. I'm sorry, man. If you're gonna put all this money in a budget. That would be like having a real, real nice car and no floorboard. Nah, man, don't worry about the floorboard, man. That's fine. No, that's why. That, that's my. That's my. That's my foundation. So I, I'll never understand it. But then again, that's why you know I work downstairs. The decisions are made upstairs. That's why guys keep getting hurt. Here you have it, Ben Troop, real grass.
and don't be off. I think it's right. No, real grass is better uh, 100% of the time if you can do it, and that's how it should be played. Especially because fake grass doesn't get all muddy and slippery, and that's how, I mean, yeah. that's some of the best things you see when you watch football is dudes, you like, so nasty you can't even read the number on the jersey because they're just covered, you know, uh, back in the day. Don't get that anymore. Now you just get torn shoulders and sleeves. Yeah, tore, yeah, tore, tore, tore. On my uniform tour. Oh, please, come on. Get out of here with that. Uh, moving along, take three. Sp- speaking of uh, that kind of same thing, Christian is just on a mission of everything he hates today. Hates artificial turf and apparently hates Thursday night football games. He says, take three, should there even be Thursday night football games? Yeah, I guess I guess I'm taking the other opinion uh, with some of these this week because I like the neutral site college football games and I like the Thursday night games. And we're talking about the NFL specifically here, right? I mean, Thursday night games. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a fun way to uh, kind of get the weekend started early. And it's a I'll say this, you know, as a Jacksonville Jaguars fan, it's about our only chance of being on national television is on a Thursday night. <laughs> we're not being on, you know, we're not going to be in prime time on a Sunday night or a Monday night. Let's be real, but I think it's a chance for you know, new teams, new players to kind of be in that primetime window because for the most part, when you think about Sunday night and Monday night football, and I get it, you're talking about the Chiefs and the Ravens and the Cowboys and the Steelers and, you know, the teams like that. You're not necessarily in the Bucks, obviously. You're not you're not getting to see everybody uh, on a rotation on Sunday and Monday night football. So to be on Thursday night football, it's a little different. Now, Ben, I, I have no idea what it's like from a preparation standpoint or how it affects, you know, the actual players and coaches. But from a fan standpoint, to be able to feel like you've kind of made it to the weekend on a Thursday evening, you got the college football, obviously. You got the pro football. And it's just one game. It's just one game. Uh, I, I, I like it. I think it's a good way to get things started. And it's a, a national spotlight to learn more about some other teams and other players. Yeah, I mean, because when I was in the NFL, I didn't understand how prestigious uh, Monday Night Football was. I didn't, I didn't, they didn't have Sunday Night uh, Football, you know, like they like they're doing it now. But I don't mind Thursday Night games because when you, if I just play Sunday, there is no practice. You, there's no, it's all walkthroughs. You ain't, you ain't going out there physically running around. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you can never ever practice the day before a game. So that means that Monday and Tuesday is all game plan. Then you got, and then on. And then uh, that Wednesday, you got to fly to whatever city you got to if you are the away team. And and, and another thing it does too, uh, you get you get an extended you get like a, an extended like weekend. So you're not you're not gonna you're not gonna practice Friday. You're probably gonna come in Saturday and Sunday. Probably watch the tape. And hopefully, coach is saying, see you guys next Wednesday. The hardest thing to get in the NFL is days off because. Once the season is here, it's rough. I mean, it's, it's every single week. It's preparation. You know, you watch. You know, you you know you you come in and you watch the table on Monday, get a lift in Tuesday. Usually, is your day off, and Wednesday you start preparing. So yeah, the Thursday night football, while it does stink, I say the reason why you do it because college college teams have to do it. I mean, I don't know about you. I don't know about you, Kevin and BJ, but the team that used to always play on Thursday night when I was in college was freaking USF. They played. They like they had a contract. Like they got to play on Thursday night. So yeah, I don't I don't mind. I do think it's. It's a showcase game for teams that are more slot fillers than actual, you know, big-name teams. So, yeah, and BJ, once again, you already know the first Thursday night game is already coming with the mustard jerseys and, and the Smurfs. It's going to be Jacksonville, you know, uh, at Tennessee. And uh, Trevor Lawrence going to have 487 yards passing the four picks. And, and obviously, uh, you know, uh, Travis Henry going to have 500 yards rushing. Yeah, the, uh, no, the- I, no, Kevin, I just want to clarify this for you, for, for, for people who think you like Thursday night college football. Kevin does not like Thursday night college football. He likes Wednesday evening matching, and he likes old Friday lunchtime Big East football. That's what you were a fan of. 
Yeah, 100%. I don't, I don't mind the Thursday night game. I hate Friday night college football. I think that's that stinks. Uh, Wednesday night, I kind of don't get. But Thursday night, college is good. Pros, I mean, Ben's right. It is the Jags and the Titans a lot on Thursday night. Or well, like, every or one like, of the Jags like, games, the Jags either play in London or on Thursday every single game. Okay, so that's how it works. Yeah. No, or, or, or just so the NFL State, can save some money, it'll be – Oh, just, or just so the NFL can save some money, it'll be the Jets versus the Giants. Like, nobody <laughs> wants to see that. Nobody. And, and, and they'll do the color rush jersey. Let me tell you something about a color rush. A color rush jersey needs to have, needs to have color in it. The Giants' color color rush jerseys are white. That's not a color <laughs> rush. They look like the Buffalo Bills away, away, away jersey. So, I'm just saying, give up for the color rushes. We will see. But, yes, BJ, you already know. Because they're not going to allow the Titans or, or uh, Jacksonville to play on Thursday night. Because, well, everybody's watching. We will go with Thursday night for the mustards and the Smurfs. Hey. Congratulations. It's all, hey, it's all good. I Look, I look at uh, Thursday night better than what the NFL is doing for the postseason. I'll let you talk about that real quick, Ben. Monday night playoff game. They're going to do a Saturday, Sunday, Monday night playoff. So you're playing 17 games. And then the NFL, obviously because of moolah and money, is going to say, Hey, how about a short week in the playoffs? You get to play on Monday night. Winner gets a short week. Congratulations. Bad enough that you take one preseason game away to only add a regular season game. And then when you do, and they add uh, more playoff teams. So those that thought, I mean, how are they going to do it? We're going to have a Sunday, Monday. So, so that, that's going to be a wild card, wild card, wild card uh, weekend. But it's the NFL, right? You finally make it in and you get to play on yes. Monday night, get the hell beat out you and say, hey, man, that's what the playoffs feel like. Yep. You don't worry about next weekend because you're already out the playoffs. But if you win, you got to turn around and play again. <laughs> and again, the NFL, I mean, they are the marketing wizards. They have dubbed this. Super wild card weekend. Great job, NFL. Originality points plus a thousand on that one. We've got more to come. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you here, three and out on this Friday. Great host of SEC games coming up this weekend. Of course, you've got Florida, Tennessee, Texas A&M, Arkansas, Missouri, Boston College, LSU, Mississippi State. Kind of some of your more interesting matchups. Even Kentucky, South Carolina. Uh, kind of interesting there. We'll get to some of those. Let's start, though, with Texas A&M, Arkansas. That is a top almost 15 matchup. Arkansas at number 16. Texas A&M at 7. Interesting note from our own Matt Smith here, who has all kind of weird factoids uh, that he throws out there. Arkansas has not been 1-0 in the SEC since 2010. So it's been a decade since they've been 1-0 and uh, to start uh, SEC play. Can they pull it off tomorrow? They're good enough to, and I think that's what college football needs to realize is that Arkansas is not just a team that got off to a good start or a team that uh, you know had a good game against Texas and got caught up in the atmosphere. They are a, they are a top 20, top 15 type team. And Texas A&M, I think, is well aware of that. I think this is going to be a competitive game. Uh, Arkansas has some of the best players in the SEC. We've talked about them. Traylon Burks at wide receiver. Uh, uh, Bumper Poole, Grant Morgan at linebacker. Jalen Catalan at safety. Uh, you, you, you have Hudson Henry uh, playing linebacker as well. Hunter Henry's brother uh, playing linebacker for Arkansas. K.J. Jefferson has done a really nice job. And you go back to the, you go back to the Sam Pittman hire. Right, And a lot of people were kind of perplexed. Okay, why didn't they get a guy that had had coaching experience? But there were a number of media people who were very quietly saying, this is a really good good hire. Sam Pittman loves Arkansas. 
He knows the SEC. He's coached at Arkansas. He focuses at the line of scrimmage, and he's a great recruiter. And sooner rather than later, we've we've seen that come to fruition. Now, A&M might feel like they're not quite getting the respect they deserve. This is a team that was fifth in the country last year. They've won every game. They lead the nation in, in scoring defense, and they just shut out New Mexico. So I think both of these teams, Arkansas and Texas A&M, are looking around going, hey, you guys aren't talking about us enough, and the winner will certainly have that problem fixed. What I like the most about Sam Pittman is the fact that, I mean, the hardest thing to do for any any uh, new head coach is to get these guys to buy in. I understand he is uh, taking on the traditions, good or bad, of Arkansas, and as of late, they, they hadn't been that good of a team. But, but the one thing he did is not being talked about enough, BJ, last year in 2020. Got a guy, Felipe Franks, to come over from Florida. Be like, look, man, help me kind of write the ship. Do for me what you did for Dan Mullen to kind of welcome him back or welcome him into the SEC as a head coach. Kind of, you know, and I think he did it. You, you fast forward to this year. It's easy to talk about what Arkansas did after they beat Texas, right? What were the storylines before? Yeah, man, this might be one. Sarkeesian was like, hey, man, we get to go and kind of welcome them. Nope. Arkansas said, we've been here. You, you, you hoping to be here in the next couple of years. That's what makes Arkansas a really, really dangerous team. BJ, you talk about you talk about a guy in KJ Jefferson who's very, very balanced. I mean, is going to keep you ahead of the chain. You're talking about Traylon Burks. He might be the best receiver in the SEC. And Jalen Catalan, he might be the best safety. So you got two guys that might be the best at their respective positions on your team. Texas A&M has a real good defense, and they had to replace Haynes King. They got the, yes, they got the, yes, they're replacing Kellerman, and I know that uh, Jimbo Fisher signed a big time extension in the offseason, and you still might catch that L on Saturday because I think what happens is Arkansas is always scratching and clawing for respectability, and Texas A&M might be in the way. So it should be a better game than we give it credit for. But if Arkansas is still in the game, BJ, uh, you know, in the fourth quarter, that's not something that uh, that uh, Texas A&M is uh, bargaining for because, like I said, they're really, really battles on offense, and when Traylon Burks get the ball in his hands, look out. That young man do not need a lot of opportunities to get in the zone. Again, going to be a fun one there as well. I, I think one that's, unfo- as I say, unfortunate, because you get the Florida-Tennessee, which is a big rivalry game at 7 o'clock. Also at 7 o'clock, though, uh, you get Kentucky and South Carolina. Kentucky 3-0, and South Carolina 2-1 and with their lone loss coming to Georgia. Obviously, most people expected that. But this is quite an interesting early season matchup for, uh, for Kentucky and South Carolina here to kind of, Again, continue to redefine the middle of the SEC East if you can get it done. And I don't think we're talking about Kentucky enough either. Now, I will say this, because I know a lot of people last Saturday looked at Kentucky and went, uh, you know, that was that was not great. And it wasn't. Okay, if you go back to the to the midway point of the fourth quarter, Kentucky was losing to Chattanooga out of the FCS, out of the Southern Conference, and Chattanooga was at Kentucky's five yard line. So you're thinking they're about to score and put this game away and Kentucky's going to lose to an FCS team. And what happened, they got a 95-yard pick six and then added another touchdown late and were able to win 28-23. In the past, Kentucky would have lost that game. And look, Ben, you've talked about this time and time again. You see the FCS and the FBS games be closer than ever before. And are there Georgia fans listening going, yep, remember Nichols State? Okay, remember Georgia Southern? So you see these games, uh, Georgia Tech, Florida, Florida, I mean, everywhere. So this happens. But Kentucky found a way to win. And they're 3-0. and And there's something interesting to note about Kentucky. These guys have one of the most balanced offenses in the country. Chris Rodriguez is currently the leading rusher in the SEC. Nobody has more rushing yards than Chris Rodriguez. And you're talking about a guy that is averaging 6.4 yards per carry 
has 378 yards already. Okay, well, that's nothing new at Kentucky. Had Benny Snell a couple of years ago. They have the SEC's second-leading receiver in Wondell Robinson, who transferred in from Nebraska. He's averaging 18.7 yards per catch and over 112 yards per game. And we know about Will Levis and what he's doing, one of the most proficient quarterbacks in the SEC. So not only is Kentucky good defensively, not only is Kentucky running the football with a superstar at running back in Chris Rodriguez, they have one of the country's best wide receivers. So keep an eye on Kentucky. They've won six of seven in this series. And guys, if you're talking about a win here, 4-0, and all of a sudden Kentucky-Florida, uh, that becomes a national game. I think Kentucky and Florida are going to be a national game no matter what when you talk about the, when you talk about the, uh, the long tradition regardless of what even if Florida's had their way, BJ. But I think what makes uh, – I do think what makes Kentucky dangerous is they finally found a pass game. Like, that, they, they, they've been talking about a pass game at Kentucky, you know, since Jerry Lorenzo. May he, may he rest in peace. And Chris Rodriguez, he provides balance. See, three things that you usually get with Kentucky, they've added another. You usually get a good defense a great offensive line, and a great run game. Now you got to pass the game to go along with it. I understand that South Carolina is a team that's always, you know, trying to figure out, you know, they're still trying to find their identity. But if Will Levis can keep things going, and Mr. him and Mr. Robinson got a great thing going right now, and Chris Rodriguez seems to be following that Benny Snell-type footsteps, this could be a better game than people give it credit for. Because, like I said, South Carolina is going to do all they, all they can to scratch and claw, but Kentucky just seems to be a team, just like Sam Pitt with Arkansas, we don't talk enough about Coach Stoops and what he's doing in Kentucky. Nobody expects Kentucky to win the East. But Kentucky expects to be very, very competitive. And Coach Stoops, Coach Stoops I mean, he's got those guys winning six or seven games regularly now. And Kentucky, that Kentucky-South Carolina rivalry is a lot better than people give it credit for. Yeah, they, uh, he's got Kentucky believing they can go out there and, and get it done. I think that's a very underrated one at 7 o'clock uh, tomorrow night. Quickly, uh, LSU-Mississippi State, this was an upset uh, a year ago, this is a high noon kick in Stark Vegas. Can can Mike Leach do it again? I I wouldn't be surprised by anything here. I mean, I, I I wouldn't be surprised if LSU comes in and wins by three touchdowns. I wouldn't be surprised if this goes the distance. And a couple of Mississippi State games have. You think about the opener with Louisiana Tech. You think about the game with the no, you know, with the wrong call against Memphis. I wouldn't be surprised if this is a three point game late. I wouldn't be surprised if Mississippi State just, you know, is hot early and maintains a multi-score lead throughout. Both of these teams are hard to predict, right, Ben? It's like whenever you get a feel for LSU and you think, okay, they're back. Well, they go to UCLA and they lose. Uh, you know, you think about Mississippi State and you, and, and you say, all right, Mississippi State is legit. They lose to Memphis. Then you forget about them and they come back and they have a big win. So I, much like I think Florida State, Louisville in the ACC is one of these games where it's like, I don't know. I don't have a good feel. That's that. That's kind of the sense I'm getting for this game in the SEC. Max Johnson has not been the guy we thought he was going to be coming into this season. I know we thought it was going to be a quarterback battle between him and Miles Brennan. Obviously, Miles Brennan getting hurt for you know uh, forced uh, Max Johnson to be the number one guy. Hasn't really been the guy we thought he was going to be. It's different when you got to earn it compared to when it's given to you. But Mr. Will Rogers, we know one thing they're going to do on Saturday. They're going to throw the ball a lot, a whole lot, and even more if Derek Stingley. Where you at? I still believe he's the best cornerback in the country, BJ and Kevin, but he's going to get tested this weekend because the thing about Mike Leach, he is very, very arrogant. He's going to win his way, and he's going to lose his way. So if if LSU's defense can't step up this week, Mike Jones, uh, you know, Ojalari, little brother, I know he, I know Ojalari is, uh, I know he plays a what, outside linebacker for LSU. I think this could be a better game than people are saying, but I think that I still, want, I still will go with Mississippi State only because 
This is an LSU team. The LSU, this LSU team is so much different than what we've seen in 2019. They're going through an identity crisis right now too. Because what is it? What are they on offense? You know what are they? What are they trying to run on defense? If the, if, if Mississippi State find himself, you know, you know, double digit lead going into the fourth, dare I say, Mike Leach on his resume can say, "Hey, man, I beat LSU two years in a row." Yeah, interesting ball game there between those two teams uh, coming up there in Starkville. That is the high noon kick, or I guess 11 a.m. there in Starkville uh, when they all get it said and done. But it's always going to be another full Saturday of college football. How would we plan it out for you? Well, we did it last week. We're going to do it again this week. We'll lay out your viewing guide for you next. It's 3 and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio. We did this last week. I had a lot of fun with it. But we are planning your Saturday for you. All right? That's what we're going to do. We are... You get up, you got, you got breakfast, you got a few minutes to get honey-do list done, and then we got the rest of your day. You could say, honey, I love you. Or maybe if you're the wife, your husband's not. Honey, I want to watch football. Kevin, BJ, and Ben said this is what I need to do from noon to midnight. 100%. I agree with that. We will go with the multiple screen option. That seemed to work great. I know not everybody does that, but we will at least provide a two-screen option here in our scenario as we map out your Saturday. So, BJ, start us off. Early games, what we got to lock into? Well, I call this my Kevin Thomas special. And, uh, you know, this Saturday, and you will notice a theme to my games throughout the day that I think you will appreciate, uh, given some of our conversations about do we like or dislike neutral site games. <laughs> but for me, I'm going to start out noon. And we've talked about Soldier Field a couple of times on the show. Notre Dame and Wisconsin, that's a really good game. That's a, that's a great game at noon. Uh, Notre Dame has not necessarily looked like a top 15 team, but if they win here, that corrects a lot of things. Wisconsin is always quietly very good, so national implications on the line. I like the fact that it's in a unique venue, one of the great venues uh, in the country. So I'm going noon, Notre Dame, Wisconsin, a nationally ranked matchup. Noon for me, BJ, would be the same. I think that anytime Notre Dame is on primetime television in a neutral site game, I mean, you want to look at it for two reasons. One, because you can't stand them, and two, because you hate them even more than that, because they are the evil empire of college football. They are the biggest brand. But I get, I get, a, I, I just, I just like the fact, too, that Soldier Field, which I talked about it again, when you look at, when you look at how prestigious it is, I just want to be, I just want to uh, be watching and win Wisconsin, find a way to get that dub against the Notre Dame guys in a historic stadium like that. So yes, BJ, I mean yes, BJ and Kevin on the big screen, Notre Dame, Wisconsin, Soldier Field, Brian Kelly, take that in. Yeah, I think on the big screen, that's the that's the choice. This is a sa- <laughs> I'm saying, but this is a Saturday where there's not a just a plethora. It's not like Week One where you had like ten or twelve just really. Really, like, can't miss games. I think Notre Dame, Wisconsin on the big screen. But on my secondary option, you got to have it. I think you want to put that noon kick, LSU, Mississippi State off to the side. Watch how that one turns out. Don't have the third option. If I did, I might flip it over to uh, Missouri Boston College just to see how that one is going. But if I got two options, Notre Dame, Wisconsin, secondary option, LSU, Mississippi State there in the noon window. All right, BJ, how long you locked in there when you go into the next window? Yeah, I'm good for the whole game. I want to check that out. As Ben said, Notre Dame's going to lose. It's going to be close. It's going to be late, and that's going to be fun. So then you go to 3.30. I'm going one TV. Got to keep it simple. I'm going to stay with a neutral site game, and I'm going to go down to Arlington, AT&T Stadium, big game in the SEC West. A lot of fun, a rivalry that dates back to 1903, Texas A&M and Arkansas, a longtime conference foes and now conference foes that might be contenders 
to who could be the top contender to Alabama in the SEC West. And as I mentioned earlier in the show, it's at AT&T Stadium, AT&T Stadium. And Jerry Jones was a co-captain on the 1964 National Championship team under Frank Broyles with Arkansas. So you have that backdrop. A lot of pressure on A&M to look like a top 10 team. If Arkansas wins, are they suddenly on the verge of being a top 10 team? That's where it's got to be at 330. Right here is going to be going, going to be the smaller TV maybe in your bedroom cuz listen, I mean I maybe I'm talking about me right now. You know, I might have been jumping up and down about Notre Dame losing. I ain't really got no horse in that fight, so I will go to Arlington, BJ, because this is the thing. Arkansas get to do the trifecta. They get to say, listen, oh, you thought because you thought we were just good when we beat Texas? We finna be the other. We finna be the second biggest brand in the state of Texas. We finna take down Texas A&M. Forget, uh, forget Jimbo Fisher talking trash about them boys from Tuscaloosa. Oh, you don't think we play football in Arkansas? So, yes, give me Sam Pittman versus Jimbo Fisher. You got them Razorbacks versus them Aggies. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, but it's going to be in the room, though, that if I do fall asleep, I'm already in the Ben's got to rest up for Florida, <laughs> Tennessee uh, there at 3. No, listen, I, I, I think the 3.30 window this week is pretty simple. I still got the two TV option, but big TV is uh, Texas A&M, Arkansas, and it's not even close. I mean, that is the one you don't flip. Small TV option, you go with uh, where did I, I just had it right? Clemson, NC State, just to see if Clemson's going to get upset. You want to keep that on in the in the small window, but outside of that, Texas A&M, Arkansas is the. I mean, look at what this is up against: Rutgers, Michigan, Wyoming, UConn, Iowa State, Baylor, Memphis, UTSA, Louisville, Florida State, Illinois at Purdue, Kent State, Maryland. I mean, there's there's nothing remotely close to Arkansas, Texas A&M at that 3.30 window. Where are we going from there, BJ? We're going to stick with technically a neutral site game. We are not doing Florida-Tennessee because here's why. In our group chat every Saturday, I can't send any messages about Florida-Tennessee anyway because Ben can't handle it. So if I can't talk about it, I'm not going to watch it. (laughs) So I'm going to go with a game that I can talk about, and that's Georgia Tech-North Carolina. Now, is it in Atlanta? Yes. Is it right down the road from uh, the Institute? Yes. Mercedes-Benz Stadium, though, it's a neutral site game. And I'm telling you, North Carolina better be ready for a game. Georgia Tech still still developing offensively. I think they'll get back to running the ball more Saturday night. And that defense, that secondary led by Tariq Carpenter, former Long County star, they're good. They're good. And they had Clemson right there. So the night game, of course, I'm going to check in on Florida-Tennessee. But the night game, to stick with the neutral site games just for Kevin, I'm going Georgia Tech, North Carolina in the bins. BJ, the, the BJ, there's only one thing worse than me having to agree with you is having to agree with you on the air, and I have to do it right now. Look, Jeff Collins needs a signature win. Jeff Collins, Jeff Collins, I think they beat Miami at Miami, I want to say a couple of years ago. Haven't really had you know, a lot to ride home about. People talk about, you know, coming off that, you know, coming off that uh, emotional roller coaster of almost beating Clemson. Ain't gonna be no almost. You gonna take a home game away from me for me to drive down the street to Mercedes Benz? Okay, well UNC finna take that L. I'm going to be watching Georgia Tech, a team that was recruiting me that I, that I was supposed to go to, by the way, and against, against them UNC boys. And BJ, I don't got to flip to the Florida Tennessee game. You know why? Because my mother's disrespectful, and she will be texting me throughout the game, and I told her not to do it. But yes, Jeff Collins coming off that emotional roller coaster against them uh, Clemson boys. Uh, Sam Howell, you will not get uh, you you know you will not get the benefit of the doubt. Give the ball to Jameer Gibbs over and over and over again and watch them DB shut down the receivers of USC. Give me Georgia Tech, UNC, 
Mercedes-Benz down. If we continue doing this throughout the season, I'm very interested to see if we get to this segment, if Ben ever says, yes, watch the Gator game on my TV. Like, yes, I'll like, watch the Gator now, game. I, don't, no, 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 you, I will you, say you, no. I'm sorry. I, I will be watching the Gator game. No, I'll be listening to it. The Ware County Gators, by the way, against the Benedictine <laughs> Cadet. So I will be listening to that game, yeah, no, but I will not no, be watching no, the Gators. America, no, tell America what you do because this is what you do. Kevin, he'll watch it on his TV, but it'll be the YouTube recap after no, 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 the no, game. This, this, okay, the Kidditz okay. game, the fast game. No, this is what happens. No, so this is what happens. Yeah, so the game is over. I, I kind of go on my phone, and I can't even go to ESPN app because – I follow Florida, so it'll pop up no matter what. So I'm like, uh, I look at, okay, they won. Now, once I see they won, I can go to YouTube to where they, they, they take the condensed version by 15 minutes, and I break it down. Then I go to – can't be on Twitter either. Think about that. Can't be on Twitter because they will literally give you play-by-play. So can't watch it, won't watch it. But 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 listen, but my, my ACC it's team a phobia. is Georgia Tech. So I can watch Georgia Tech. I mean, I could, you know, I mean, I almost went to Georgia Tech. I could have been, I almost became. I mean, an engineer. I mean, is that how it works? You get an SEC team and an ACC team. I mean, who's my SEC? He's team? been hanging out with Cody Queen uh, uh, too long. I think. Listen, listen, at, listen, listen. Just at, have teams listen, everywhere. Listen, at, listen at, the end, at the end of the day, I do not have a Georgia Tech jersey underneath a Florida jersey. No, I'm just. I, I don't do stuff like I, I don't. I don't do hey, stuff man, like listen. that. Listen, my Pac-12 team, Oregon, looks really good. Yes. We are going to make the playoffs. Well, BJ, we talk about what – listen, BJ, we've gone through every school in the ACC that you would have played for at this point as a slot receiver slash kick returner, punt returner. Pretty soon you're going to be the kicker. I, I will say the late window, the 730 <laughs> games, you might have to get a, a, a third TV. I, I will, will put main TV, probably Kentucky, South Carolina, because of what it means uh, there. Secondary TV, I'll be watching North Carolina, Georgia Tech, and I'll get a third option, maybe to get the laptop out and uh, watch Florida and Tennessee. And if any of those gets out of control, this is a good Saturday to take the wife out to a late dinner, maybe some late cocktails, because that late window is, yeah, and, uh, you know, just go out and have a good time. Whoa, 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 whoa. Ben, you see how he rolls first? He's got three TVs. He's got three screens. Yep. Then he's going out for cocktails. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean Kevin goes. Kevin goes. Uh, listen, uh, you know, uh, I mean, he's going to the midst of saying, "Would you let her get some cocktails?" Like, well, yeah, I mean, I, what? It's maybe well, Oklahoma, West Virginia is at the same time. So once you get like into, if the games start getting non-interesting, I'm not saying maybe like really late, but you get nine o'clock, maybe you know, uh, because you've been watching football all day, you and the wife go out and. Have a date night or something because the late window was not that Kevin, good. You can Kevin. have whatever you like, Thomas. I, I I told you. I mean, I'm just saying. And but what Kevin didn't tell you is that he done rented out the whole restaurant. I don't want to be in here with them. Where's everybody at? I just rented it out for the night. Can I just rent it out, Mr. Thomas? What would you be having? Yeah, I rented out like a jack in the box. You know, the real tiny, uh, <laughs> real tiny ones. We got more to go. That, that's our game watching guide, though. We got you from noon to about ten o'clock, and then. You're on your own if you want to stay up to 1, 2 o'clock in the morning and make sure you get that late-night cover uh, for your Saturday. We've got more to come. It's 3 and out. We'll hear from Fred Gibson coming up in the final hour of the program, former Ware County Gator and Georgia Bulldog wide receiver. I uh, look forward to chatting at Georgia football with him. Uh, coming up, we'll have our picks in the final hour as well. But uh, kind of an interesting situation coming up tonight. Uh, BJ and Ben Braves out on the West Coast in San Diego. First pitch of the game that I guess kind of counts San Diego's home game going to start at 10-10 tonight, but at 8 o'clock you have the resumption of an Atlanta home game in San Diego. So it'll be the bottom of the fifth uh, with the Braves batting when it was was called. Here's what's interesting. When that was called, Adam Duvall and Jorge Soler were not even on the team. They will be eligible to bat in this game. 
Ira Adrianza, who had pinch hit in the real game back in Atlanta, is not eligible to play because he has already played in this game. Even though Duval and Jorge Soler weren't even on the team, they can come in and pinch hit uh, as well. And I believe Jesse Chavez was pitching when they called it. He can start, although the Braves may not have him put in. He's the pitcher of record. So all kind of weird stuff happening just to be able to play like two innings. Wow. Yeah, that's right. Because you're only going seven. Uh, yeah, that's that that that's really interesting. And through it all, all the math, all the who can can't play, just win because you're 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 down to a two game lead. And then once you get past uh, San Diego this weekend, and we'll see how that goes. You're talking about Philadelphia to open next week, and then New York, and it's done. So the magic number is what eight, uh, somewhere around there. A combination of Braves wins or Phillies losses. So. Uh, it's coming down to it. I mean, it's coming down to that final series is going to be critical, but it would be just a beautiful thing if you could enter the series that starts next week up four games or five games so that even if you get swept, uh, it would still take more losses and Philadelphia finishing strong for you to not win the division. You're not going to make the wild card, so this is it. This is it. you got to win. Tough going to San Diego to face the Padres. You should have had the sweep yesterday. That was disappointing. Got to win this series this weekend. Got to Phil- win. The Phillies were losing five to nothing to the Pirates, and the Pirates went Pirates on it and blew it. So you could have had a chance there, but a, a weaker opponent for Philadelphia. And as uh, BJ said, got to win against San Diego to not let the Phillies potentially come to Atlanta next week with it all being on the line. It, uh, I, I really, really hope it doesn't come down to that. And Kevin, all that you was just mentioning earlier, I mean, who can play, who can't play. No, you were already on the team and you had a bat, so you can't play Solaire and Duval. You guys can't come in and play. It sounds like math to me. And, I, and when <laughs> I signed my contract here, we said we don't do math on this show. The magic number, BJ, you said is eight, hopefully. But, you know, between the well, Phillies losses and, and, and Braves win. But I'm just proud of the Braves to put themselves in this position. I know we've been saying, BJ, I, I, I was surprised you to say it. This might be the most important game of the Braves series starting tonight before you even get to the Philly series. But, hey, man, that's that's where we are. And, yep. hey, hopefully the Braves can keep, keep today winning ways and control what they can control, which yep. is the team they play. The magic number is nine, but you talk about what could potentially happen tonight. It's a two-game lead, BJ. If you win tonight, both games, and the Pirates manage to beat the Phillies, it goes from two to three and a half. If the Phillies win and you lose both of these games – it shrinks all the way down to a half game going into Saturday really quick. So you think, oh, man, it's just a two-inning makeup of a doubleheader that got rained out. No, that's it, two innings with Jorge Soler and Adam Duvall, potentially, who weren't even on the team when this game was played, could be the difference in how this season potentially shapes out. A lot of pressure, and it's, and it, and it's strange. I mean, like you said, through it all, this is an Atlanta Braves home game, literally about the furthest away from Atlanta you can be in the continental United States. So it is, uh, it's unique. It's what you got to do, but you got to win these games. I mean, I think you have a couple of innings. You have, what, six outs to get a run. I mean, Kevin, what kind of night could we have in San Diego if the Braves get one run? It goes into extras, <laughs> and then the 10 o'clock game doesn't start till 11.30. I mean, you talk about staying up for the late game on – a college football Saturday night, could you stay up through all that? Me personally, I don't know if I could. But, yeah, it's, I, I thought about that same thing as well. It's like, what if the Braves tie this thing and then you end up burning a bunch of pitching in 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 that? Uh, it, things could get very interesting. Because I think if you're the Braves, you're looking at it a couple of ways. With this, either we want to win it 
let's go ahead and get two runs and finish it, or you probably, it sounds bad, lose it. So you, I'm seriously, BJ, because if you, if you lose it, then it's over. Then you have your nine-inning game to play. I don't think you want to mess up your bullpen going into the weekend burning through all your pitchers. Right, I mean, it's like, hey, we're in a in a two inning game. We end up using six dudes, and now we got to go play a nine inning game after that, and it potentially messes you up uh, for the weekend. So I think best case scenario, you come out and drop a couple of runs on the board and get it done. Appreciate uh, you joining us here in hour number two. We still got more to come. We got our picks. Sure to go wrong. We hear from Fred Gibson coming up in the final hour of the program as well. Former Ware County Gator and Georgia Bulldog. Georgia going to Nashville this weekend to take on Vanderbilt. So don't go anywhere. More to